briefly, if you ever wanted to know what Palm Sunday is, is that commemorates the triumphal entry. So when you're reading the scriptures and you see that those little those little that little plant that they would have and they'll be waving it at Christ, um, that was actually celebratory, which is very interesting because he went to Jerusalem to die. But in essence, he went to, to Jerusalem to fully reign. Uh, so that's the beauty of it is that is that he, he died, but that it was prophetic, that actually his death was, in essence, his reign, uh, that when he died and rose from the dead, what he did was he set captive all of us. Praise the Lord. Um, and um, and now he's reigning right now in times. In, well, in all the universe. And then he allows us to reign with him. So uh, in, into Jerusalem in the days before the passion. So before the passion, the time of Jesus is, uh, you know, the, the beatings and then the, the death the crucifixion and then the resurrection. So that's what Palm Sunday is. So when we have so the week before is, and they call it a, a movable feast. Right. Because of the days change. Uh, but but Palm Sunday is always a Sunday before Easter. OK, so we, we have these little tidbits up here uh, again, not to make us smarter, but so that we know a little bit more about the liturgical calendar. And hopefully even as those days come, they will lead toward worship and it just wouldn't be another day. But you will be thinking about this stuff, because when you really think about the reality of the cross and what he did and you actually like begin like even Palm Sunday, just think about, OK, this is the day um, hypothetically um, because we don't know like what specific day it was. When Jesus came into Jerusalem uh, to prepare for his death, basically, and to meditate on that, wonder what it would do in our journey. OK, so we do those all the time. If you have questions. I want to ask you to write them down and then what we'll do is we'll put them up and we'll explain them for a couple of minutes uh, so that we can continually be grafting ourselves and uh, what's biblical. OK, fam. All right. With that said, um, we're going to jump right into uh, John 10. If you're new here, let me give you a couple ground rules. Uh, what we're doing is uh, we're going through the book of John and we're in uh, John chapter 10. Uh, if you're new, there's the, there's no cultural pie here. Please, if, if something's weird or you want more understanding, feel free to raise your hand. That's OK. Uh, feel free to ask a question. Just want to ask you to consider the question and say, you know, is this going to be edifying the whole body? Um, you know, uh, so just, you know, just be wise about the question. But we want to ask you want to ask you to be freed up, please, because um, we're just on this journey together. Now, I was talking too much last week, so we only got to verse 17 of chapter 10. Um, so hopefully we're going to try to bring it home. And then, um, which is cool, because I just heard a lot of people who've been reading chapter 11 and stuff. And so I feel like we're, we're, we're growing and we're getting in the word and we're preparing uh, for our time together, which is really exciting. So this is this is great because um, this this whole chapter it's about this reality. And what we're talking about is continually keeping your mind the reality of good shepherd. OK, family. The good shepherd, uh, because that's where we're, we're coming from. Now, there's a lot of uh, big things. We talked about the theology of outreach um, last week in reference to understanding uh, God's sheep and how do we do we find or do we make sheep? Uh, we talked about a lot of different things um, in reference to his character. Um, and this week, we're going to focus even more on his character, and we're going to start with a very high-packed verse uh, in chapter 10, starting at verse 18. Um, I'll read verse 18, discuss some things, and then I'm going to have Eric read a lot of the big chunks, okay? So if everyone's ready, we're going to start in verse 18, okay? So this is where we left off. It says, this is Jesus talking. He's, um, uh, he's, he's made this proclamation that he is the good shepherd. We talked about this is one of the famous of the seven I am statements. 
Okay, and he says something very interesting that I want us to have to really deal with. Um, He says, no one takes. uh, Let me actually start in verse 17. The reason my father loves me uh, is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, which is his life, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive uh, from my father. I love it. This is this is uh, very interesting because what he's doing is I I, want to challenge us to have a different picture or um, I would propose a more accurate picture of the resurrection, Um, the death and resurrection. First, what you see is a lot of times in Scripture, uh, we can talk about them almost separate, uh, right? the death of Christ and the resurrection. But it seems that what the Scripture shows is that they're, they're inseparable. Uh, that that understanding the glory and the triumph of Jesus is to understand the death and resurrection together. Right. Which makes sense practically. I mean, it doesn't mean much that Jesus died uh, in the sense that if there, if he didn't have the power to be resurrected. Right. And so his death did something, but it did something because who died. Right. It's not that it wasn't that death was was cool and then he was able to be resurrected. It was, it was that the resurrected one died. It's very different. It's an issue of essence. And so so the so first thing I'm saying is that it seems that the scriptures and again, coming from a reality of looking at the canon, looking at the whole Bible, that the Bible doesn't give much airplay to try and separate the two. But the death and resurrection are are inseparable. But there's some key um, nuances in this passage, because what it does, I think it forces us to provide a picture of the resurrection uh, that just blows open um, our view of God. And what I want to say is uh, there seems to be. Three big picture things that Jesus has us um, deal with in reference to his attributes when we look at verse 18. OK, family, uh, the attributes of the shepherd. When you see, he says, no one takes it from me, his life, but I lay it down in my own accord. You see, first, this, uh, this whole aspect of of God being totally sovereign. Now, when we say sovereign, you know, we use that word a lot. Right? I think we use that word a lot in Christian circles. And if you're new here or you don't know Jesus, that's like a, a real cool 20 cent word, sovereignty. Right. But but have you really thought through the concept of what does it mean when you and I talk about the sovereignty of God? Uh, I just want us to wrestle with this. Okay, this is what we're saying. We believe about Jesus. Okay, we're saying that we believe he's he's free uh, from external control. Okay, that means that there's nothing that forces his hand. It's not that it's not that, you know, and that's why it's weird when I see cats, you know, when you do mission, I do mission trips or you go somewhere and cats think because they pray louder. The guy go, oh, OK, well, heal that one, you know, because that was a real prayer. No, 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 you cannot force the king's hand. Period. He is totally free from external control. I mean, this stuff kind of makes us can make us wiggle a little bit when you think of what we're saying about the king of the universe. So he does what he does, when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it. He provides you with the information he wants to provide you with, and then he leads you in the dark in areas he doesn't want you to know. Because, and, and, I, and, I, and I perceive, as I look at Scripture, fam, this is a good thing. I perceive because he wants us to remember that he's God and we're not. So there's a couple things in eternity that we're going to never really get. And we're going to have to be okay with that. Um, Freedom from external control. Nothing forces his hand. Now, what I love about that is you and I can't force his hand. And that kind of makes us mad, me being a control freak. But what I also like about it is that mean the enemy and his demons and no, no evil creature, nothing can force his hand. So I love that because if God loves me and he was my good and he has that attribute, then that attribute is on my side. 
Secondly, self-governing. So not only is it like that there's not these external forces that come upon him and sort of manipulate him to sort of like, you can't really jump off a building and be alive. Yeah, I can. And he, you know, there's, there's none of that. Right. There's none of that. You know what I'm saying? But 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 also the sense of self-governing. Right. That that he is just like he just he's just ruled in himself. Like he 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 makes the rules. Period. Like, and that's and, I, and that's, that's when you think about that, I say to people, so so why were the Israelites holy? Like, why are they holy? And people we would think through and we look in the scriptures and we and, and you know what the scriptures show us? Because God said it. Period. They didn't do nothing. They weren't nicer. God said, you know what? You're going to be my chosen people who I'm going to use uh, to, to, to bring home redemptive history. And I'm, you're perfect and holy now. You know what I love about that? We go, well, wait a minute, really? That's what he did to us. He made us, and that's what I love about the, the gospel, is that he makes you holy when you just say yes to Jesus. Still some same sin patterns, still temper, all that stuff. And then he says, oh, you trust me? Right now you're perfect and holy, period. You're reigning with me right now, Ephesians 2. Period. Right now. Nothing you've done. So I actually like the whole self-governing deal. I love the freedom from uh, external control. Controlling influence. Um, so not only is he like, like saying, look, dude, you can't manipulate me and I rule in myself. But I love that not only does he rule in himself, but then he rules all things. That he has full controlling influence on every created and uncreated thing. All I'm saying is this is what you're saying when you say God is sovereign. That's all I'm saying. That's what we're saying. So we got to do. We got to wrestle with that. This is what I'm saying. If I'm saying God is sovereign, right, that, that we are saying God has totally controlling influence. I think that's, that is awesome that 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 he is in, he is in total control of all things. The Bible says created and uncreated. So that's just the nuances um, that we see um, even in this passage when he says uh, such things that no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. Uh, the sense of like that God is in total control. But there's another nuance, the sovereignty of God. But I believe also the power of God, the power of God. So and I want to be clear here. And you go in that same thing. No, because you think about it. Those are two separate incommunicable attributes. Now, they're cousins. Right. You got the sovereignty of God, but you got the incommunicable attribute. When you say that it's, a, it's an attribute that we don't have. Right. And that's the sense of of omnipotence. Right. Uh, that God is totally he's just he's just totally powerful, that he is in control, that he has all power, that that Satan. And, and I, just to be clear, if, we, if that Satan is not an evil God, he is a created angel who fell. See how low he is. He fools us in thinking he has some power like God. No, not at all. A created angel that God created and he failed. God doesn't even I mean, in the power of God, he speaks um, and, and Satan has to obey. I mean, just and he ain't got to like put him in a headlock and chase him around the room and, you know, ain't none of that. You know, Satan does something really weird and God does something a little more powerful. It's not Gandalf and you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like they're trying to paint a picture, but the picture is always it's always human. It's always a little way lower than the reality that we're dealing with. OK. That was from Lord of the Rings. I'm sorry if you guys don't. Um, 
he's not he's not battling in that way, family. Um, even the reason why we're going through all this redemptive history in this wilderness time is because it's bringing God more glory in his eyes. And he can do that because he's sovereign. Uh, sovereignty, a power of God. But don't miss it. So so we see the sovereignty and power of God. But um, I just. OK, so God is all sovereign. He's all powerful. And then you see he talks about laying down his life. Perfect love. The thing that blows me away about the Lord is that he's just not all into himself. He could be and he'll be totally OK. But then he takes that abundance of love and power and then he creates us out of love. And then we mess up and then he sends his son to show again his perfect, perfect love by dying for us, by killing himself. And I love how he says, I love it when you think about that. He says, no man takes my life. I lay it down. Now, if that's the case. If you if, if we really believe that this God that we're serving, that this that this is true, that he's totally no external influence can get in his way. Right. He's left into himself. He, he makes the rules. Uh, we see right now that he he has all controlling influence, influencing everything that he is in control of all the universe. And yet he's still intimately involved in our lives. Then we see the power of God ruling and reigning over all things. And then in addition to all that, he has great love for us. So those attributes are at our arsenal. If that's a reality, wouldn't that change our life? If you really believe that. What street would you be scared to go down? How could you how could you be scared of anything if we believe that? God says, you're on mission now. I want you to give the rest of your life to eating beans and having flies all over you and whatever. Think of your worst scenario. Why will we not take the mission of God and rejoice if this is true of the king? If this is true, why do we still try to jockey for our own life and make our own comforts and serve our own demigods? As Christians. Just asking. It's not a question to you. This is a question to us. I ask myself, if I really believe this, it should be really evident in how I do life. Extremely evident. This would change the swagger. That's why Jesus had a swagger he had. That's why he could say, yeah, we're going to see in a minute. <laughs> That's why, why Jesus, he be, he's, a, he's a G, dog, I'm telling you. Perfect love displays his care. So, so his character, guys, what the Lord is showing us in verse 18, when he says that verse, this is not a really cool verse. What he's saying, if he's saying, he brings that up because all of us should go, wow, that character should, uh, should change my life. Should change my life. And man, if you're, a, if you're not a believer here right now, you're sort of just wondering a little more about Jesus. This is who he is. He's, he's everything. And he loves you. He's worthy of your life. Yeah, buddy.
or even in Daniel 10, one of my favorite one of my favorite uh, stories where uh, where the, the angel takes a while to get to to Daniel. And the angel says, you know, I mean, you guys have been praying and um, and guess what? I've been fighting this. I've been in the heavens fighting this demon because of your prayers. Um, and so that's 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 why I'm kind of late. <laughs> I mean, basically, in, in layman's term, Daniel 10, you can write the address down. I think it's a beautiful story of the power of prayer and also the supernatural realm that's happening whenever we pray in the heavenlies. Um, yeah, and that's that's the hard thing is that is that what we do know is that the Bible is really clear that prayer models are dependence upon the Lord. We're saying we agree, Lord, that you are sovereign, that you are all powerful and that you love me. And so I'm going to what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk to you about my stuff because I believe these things. And you know what? And then we see in Scripture God finding joy in allowing the prayers of the saints, even in Revelation. The incense, when we did, we studied the book of Revelation, the incense are the prayers of the saints, right? And so there's something about the prayers of the saints that heaps judgment on the world, okay? That, so, so we see God using these things, but the question is, are he using these things or are he, is he manipulated by them? And I would say those are really different. And I don't know how to clearly explain that, but that God is really clear that, trust me, all these things I'm doing is because this is the joy I receive out of doing them this way. So it's, it's one of those things. I, I love how he makes us have to wrestle with that. We see him, people pray and the sun stay up extra long. We see these different things in Scripture. But yet God's saying, I wasn't, I'm never manipulated. My hand isn't forced. I do these things just like Jesus in the eyes of the world. If he wouldn't have this Bible and we didn't have Jesus telling us, we would think, oh, man, brother was in Jerusalem. They popped him on the head with a brick, dragged him off. He got killed. This is how it is. Dog eat dog world. <laughs> right. But Jesus clear as day tells these guys, don't you think it for one moment that these guys got me and that just like that, I can't have tens of thousands of angels destroying everybody here right now. Don't ever think that that I'm laying down my life, although it looks like they're taking my life. And that's the cosmic reality that we deal with right now is that God is saying, I want you to understand that unreality, what seems to be not real is actually what's real. What you can't see and what you think you see in this practical is actually not real. That's that's, you know, I, I didn't explain that. huh? But um, <laughs> OK, so um, so so it's uh, so it's, it's kind of crazy. So I know I just didn't answer your question, but praise him. Um, <laughs> I love you. You know that, Jamie. Um, let me just continue real quick. So then he says in verse in verse 19, family, uh, at these words, the Jews were again divided. Remember, all throughout the text we've been seeing. So they're kind of divided. They're going, man, we still figure out this dude. I love this. Many of them said he's, he's demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? You know. But in others, so, so there's some super haters. And in others, in 21 said, uh, th- these are not sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Uh, can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So don't you love that? Don't you, don't you love how it is a historical narrative? It's a story. How we've looked at the blind man. He was healed a minute ago. And we still see the remnants of him in the scripture. Just don't miss that, family. This is not, a, again, a vacuum instruction manual. This is a story, a meta narrative of what God has done in the world in history. And it, 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 it really does read like that. And I just want us to give the same courtesy that we give to any other book to the Bible, because um, I think we sort of give it new rules or something. But, um, yeah, so, so we see uh, these guys. I love how they all talk about um, what he is not, but none of them talk about what he is, like who he is, um, which is um, very interesting to me. What we're going to do is we're going to read verses 22 uh, through 30 and I'll make a few comments. 
Then came the Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So we have, uh, this again, this continual, um, this continual argument. Uh, he's really addressing uh, their, their unbelief. And we start out with this whole sense of the Feast of Dedication. Now, um, Feast of Dedication was kind of like, um, how do I liken it to our history? Um, they had this like rival, this like rival group uh, in an intertestamental period between the Old and New Testament called the Maccabees, um, and they would and they were kind of crazy. It reminds me of like in history. Um, if you know, if you think of your, your American history back in the day, you know how you talk about how okay African Americans were enslaved, and then you had, but you still had like some Indians. And how the one thing about the Indians, the white folks got kind of scared of Indians because although, like, they were winning the battle, Indians were crazy. They was like, you're going to have to kill every one of us. We're not going to be slaves. And, and in, I mean, this is just what happened. You look at your history books if you know. And so, um, so the Indians were just going crazy. And so the white folks said, well, okay, all right, we're going to have to kill all y'all or y'all going to kill all us. So how about this? We'll still rule and we'll give y'all some huts and stuff, right? And so that's what, that's what sort of happened, right? I'm just, I'm just, in layman's terms, it was foul, but that's what happened. That's our history. Deal with it. So, right? So, so, but in the same way, it was this rival group, the Maccabees, these Maccabees were like that in Israel. Um, you had the nice kind of Israelites and you had these crazy people like, look, we're not going to be held captive by y'all. And that's why you have this whole sense when you get to the New Testament, you wonder, so how, if, if, if Romans rule, ruling, but yet you got a sort of a Jewish kind of king. It's because it was like hush, it was hush money. It was like, OK, we'll kind of rule. We'll rule over you. Um, but this as long as y'all calm down, like like just, you know, like we'll give you a king and you can have your own little area. But just don't go crazy. Right. And so, so my point is the Maccabees, they beat up the Syrians. And uh, and what the Feast of Dedication is, is a celebration of that. Um, right. And so they they had this. Uh, so what they did, is they, they, they beat up the Syrians and then they, they re, um, dedicated the temple. Like because obviously temple was huge for the Jews. And, they, and, and the big the big reason why they celebrated the Feast of Dedication was because they had um, enough oil uh, for light for one day. But God did a miracle and let it, and it stayed lit for like a whole week. Um, and so so that so the reason why I bring all that up is because scholars believe that Jesus actually was a fulfillment of the Feast of Dedication as well, um, that, that he is actually truly that light that continues to stay lit um, and that and that he is actually the one. This is just what scholars would say, that he's actually the one who is fighting for Israel and is truly the one uh, that they should be worshiping and honoring and not just a miracle of God. So that's um, that's just some background on the, on the Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. Um, what happens here um, if he is dedicated, if he if it is about Jesus there. And it, and it is a typology that actually he fulfilled. Um, there's a couple of things I want you to see in verse, like, for example, in verse 26. Um, if you have any questions, again, raise your hand. Notice verse 26. It says, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. 
I, I, I bring this up just to help us wrestle with the reality of how of what God is doing. Um, it seems that the reason for their failure is because they're not his sheep. OK, like they can't see. It's like it's like he tell he makes it really plain like they can't because he's not they're not his sheep. They can't receive Jesus, which is kind of humbling uh, that he's just like, you don't hear my voice. Yes, this. Hanukkah. Yes, it is. Uh huh. Good job. Yeah, it is. It is now. It's, it's transferred to Hanukkah now. Yeah. Uh-huh. Good job. Good girl. Um, so. Um, so. So. So I, I just bring that out to say, again, just seeing the sovereignty of God, like laced through our scripture. And we have to understand that, that God is saying, hey, these guys, you just you, you're just not my sheep. And and what does that mean? That That's not to go. Whoa, well, that's that's messed up. I, I think that's that's humbling for all of us. Because see, what the Lord is showing us is that the knowledge of God is not privy to the wise. Uh, We're not believers because we did something or we know something that other people don't. We're not just more humble, right? That's just not the case. The the beauty of the gospel is that we all deserve death, and then he chose you. He's just gracious. And so, I mean, and that's what's weird. When you have an arrogant Christian, that's just stupid. Because, like, dude, like, you, you... you, for the grace of God, we're the drug addicts. We're the alcoholics. We're, we're worshiping material things. We're, this, you know, when we serve people, we got to make sure at MacGall we don't have a swagger. Like, like by the grace of God and two che- paychecks, we won't be in the same place. You know? And so, and so the, the reality of the cross in Jesus, the reason why he continues to discuss the sovereignty of God, is it's not top chef reform theology. It's biblical, and he's just wanting us to continually understand his goodness. It should bring a smile on your face like, wow, Lord, you're so good. You grab me and I know how messed up I am. And then it gives you hope to know he can grab others just as messed up as you are. Right. If you had it all together, then you'd be on the block trying to find somebody just like you. But when you really know you foul and you are, then you go on the block and you're like, come on, homie, because if you follow me, Jesus can save you, too. Trust me. You know what I'm saying? Different disposition altogether. So. So it really is um, not just thinking, but it, it should lead toward worship, understanding the reality of God's sovereign rule in our life. Even as we look um, at that verse um, in, chapter, in, I think it's verse, yeah, verse 26. Let me continue on. Another key point that I want us to understand as we look at this argument. So Jesus t- having, saying all this stuff, and I don't want us to miss, the, miss these things. Um, when he talks about eternal life family. Uh, so we see him says, I, I get, he says, you know, my, my, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And, I, and, and the, the sheep thing is interesting because there's a lot of myths out here. And I'm trying to know what's a myth and what's not, uh, because I think there's something about the way shepherds take care of sheep and, and the Lord, how he takes care of us uh, that I want to get into. Uh, but I, I don't even know if I'm equipped yet because I just feel like there's I, I think I know some myths and I think they're true. And I don't want to say something that's lying, I'm lying and. So can we just say that we like I just want to I want to focus right now on not specific stories to make me sound deep or something. I really want to focus on the goodness of God. And then um, you can like wrestle with like like how does well, yeah, when the sheep's legs broke, where does he, how does he carry them? I'm trying to figure that out myself. So I'm still on journey. So I won't I won't be able to help you there. OK, family. Sorry. Um, so the sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. He says, I give them eternal life and they should never perish now. And no one can snatch them out of my hand. Now, I want to I want to pause there. Verse 28. Isn't that awesome? Read that verse again. Just read, read it to yourself. Look at that. And notice something. A lot of times we talk about eternal life from the perspective of, of quality. 
And and um, and what it seems like what he's talking about here, and I don't think we do it much. He's talking about the perspective of quantity. Okay, quality is important as well. Very important. But it seems something that we don't want to miss here. And that is God is saying that you get life eternally. You get life forever. And that that seems to be extremely important to Jesus. Now, when does eternal life start? This means something. When does eternal life start? It starts the day you say yes to Jesus. Now, that 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 really that that struck some strikes some chords with us. Or with me, because what it's really saying is this. Okay, if eternal life starts the day you receive Jesus, then what really is eternal life? So we have the kingdom now and the kingdom to come. And then Jesus, what he does, he busts in it, uh, into now and says, I'm going to bring the not yet, the recreativeness, the, the perfection of the not yet now. That's Jesus, Holy Spirit, kingdom expanding through us as his people right now in times and places. But guess what? So what does eternal life look like? To have Jesus. And you know what? You know what I struggle with? And sometimes we have to really renew our minds. I go, that's it. And that's scary. And that humbling make you want to cry that, that Jesus can't be enough. That we go, no, it's supposed to be something like fun. And, and Jesus says, no, eternal life starts now. Why? Because you have me. Because you have Jesus. Because you're supposed to adore him. And I wonder, I don't, I, don't, I don't see this in the text, but I wonder as part of this journey right now, God just purifying our hearts to understand that Jesus is enough. And so now when we really understand that re- eternal life isn't some future possibility, but it's a present reality that we live in right now. Jesus is enough, not your girlfriend, not sex. Not money, not power, not notoriety, not your education, not what you can do. Not peace. God's going to recreate all things. It won't be sin. We won't struggle with all our stuff. But God is saying there's something even more than that. He says you have eternal life right now, and we don't even have that yet. That's interesting to me. That we still have sin and brokenness. But he says you have eternal life right now because he wants to get our mind off the stuff that he gives us and put our mind on a person he gives us. Jesus. Everybody goes every week in some different way. Doesn't that stand up there and tell me Jesus? And I'm tired of hearing the same thing. You know why? Because that's what the Bible wants us to get. Family is that Jesus is enough. And that's why story after story of Christ is bringing you to the break of saying, Nick, is Jesus enough? Is he enough? Eternal life right now, family. So he says that in, um, in, verse, in verse 28, you should never perish. And I love it. I love that he gives us eternal life. And he says, you know what? You never perish. So but we all die. I love that. I love that God still. I just think that's interesting that he, that he he conquers death and lets us die. He could have just very simply said, I already conquered death. So y'all going to float around forever. He could have done that. It, it's just a, and I just think what, what does it point to? It points to his glory again. That God says, I'm going to let you experience the fellowship of my sufferings. I want to let you experience the reality of faith so that when you see me, you're going to really like me. Right. 
I tell you, I just think there's something different about Jesus coming back and I'm kind of like, you know, at Trader Joe's, you know, just kind of just doing my thing. And I'm like, oh, cool. Jesus is back. You know what I'm saying? Versus Jesus comes back and my heart is rich because I've been out sharing my faith and cats dogging me and tables slipping over and people mocking you and you and you and there's this pain because you want to see people experience true life and they say no to Jesus and you're trying to be faithful to your family and your wife and you're trying to say no to sin and yes to righteousness and you're trying to be in community and love people and you're trying to live a gospel centered life and you're tired and yet you have happiness and you have pain and one day the sky cracks and there he is. I was telling, I don't want to go to heaven with a pina colada. I want to be like limping. I want to be limping, man, and have a big old bruise on my head and go, I'm so glad you wouldn't know some weird myth, dude, because I've been wondering. I want to, I want to be like, man, thank you. This wasn't like some weird ploy in the first century. Some poor brothers got together like, man, this is safe. So his name's Jesus. We're going to make a Bible, you know, and I'm worshiping some weird dude that, you know, really didn't exist. That's not true. He's real. And he's going to bring us home. And it's going to be a great time and we're going to want it. There won't be one person in heaven who doesn't want to be their family. You hear me? That's that's he who has ears to hear. Let him hear stuff. You are not mocking Jesus. You don't love Jesus. He knows it. The Bible continues to say. Um, so. Goodness gracious. So we have. Um. This quality of life. And I love the sense of this hold that he has on us. You hear this family? Don't miss this. Um, don't miss this family. I love that he hold, he, he puts this picture of the hold that he has on us. It's like he says, I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Now, hear this family. We have a picture and we, we do. We, 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 we can talk to theology, but we really see ourselves holding on to Christ. You know, and so we do it by our good works and we're sharing our faith and we're doing discipleship. And we we see it like, you know, but no, Jesus sovereign. He loves me. And, but, we, but I'm holding on and I'm doing good. And so and I always say we the lie in the believer is a, is the less grace you need, the better you think you're doing as a Christian, which is totally demonic. But that's what we think. Right. It's no, but that you're in a place of grace. So we're holding, but God's God's picture of the journey with us is is we is that we have this limp. Oh, like, you know, punk, you know, oh, Jesus, like we we're not holding on at all. And then he has a sperm grab on us. That's the picture. That's the real picture of our life is that you're not holding on to Christ. How dare we be so arrogant? You think you got enough holiness to hold on to God? We're nothing. God is saying I hold on to you. The reason why you're fighting this fight, the reason why you're still reading your Bible, the reason why you've been drawn to church is because of me, not because of you. What a beautiful thing for us as we fight the fight. That frees me. That so frees me to go, oh, it's the Lord doing something in my life. That allows me to be in process in my sin. To pursue God and know he's doing the work. What freedom. So he says these things and these things are all like, boom, they're just, I mean, can you imagine all the stuff he's saying? The, the stuff that they and we have to wrestle with after you hear this? Is that true, Jesus? You hold me? I have nothing to offer you? 
What does that mean? That means I have nothing to fear? Nothing to fear? My man Garrett asked a good question last night. Have nothing to fear. If that's true, I'm going to move down real quick, family, because I'm, I'm, I ran out of time. So in a nutshell, what happens, right, they get mad at Jesus, and they say, you know what, I'm tired of your mouth. I'm going to brick you. And so they grab a brick, and they're going to beat him up. They try to they're going to kill him. And then uh, before G, G, they brick Jesus in verse 31, um, Jesus is like, wait a minute, why are you going to brick me, right? That's, verse, that's, that's what he says in verse 32. That's my, you know, I'm just giving you cliff notes. Why are you bricking me? Right. And then and they say, well, you know, I love this. Um, he's like, so what? You know, like, why are you about to beat me up and kill me because of the miracles? And they say, hey, hold on. We, verse 33, we're not stoning you for any of these miracles. Now, I love that. You know what it did? Um, he says, we're not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy. All they did right there was indict themselves. Because they said blasphemy. They recognized the miracles. So they said, we're not stoning you for the miracles, which means they recognize them. Then they say, we're stoning you for blasphemy. They call and they say, you saying you God. They knew exactly his story. They heard the gospel. They just rearticulated it. You did miracles and I want to take you out. That's what just happened. Isn't it interesting? I mean, I want to give them a fair rap. They knew exactly what they were doing. I think it's very interesting that they understood it clearly. You know, you saying you're God. And they're they're ready to stone him, and they never stop to consider. Before I throw this brick at this brother, he did just heal a blind man. (laughs) Wait a minute. He did turn water into wine. Can you imagine? He did allow a man to walk. Not even consider Family. He continues on. Um, I love so just just in your own notes. I love the fact that in, in the text here, what they do, like in, in, in the law, you, you make an accusation, you're supposed to take it to a judge. Then they say, OK, guilty, you know, and then you, you, do, the, you do the sentence. It's like a, it's kind of a process, just like our law. Right. Just like our litigation. And here they do it all at once. They like, no, we ain't, we ain't going that route, brother. We we kind of ghetto with it. We're going to kill you right now. We already we done told you you're guilty. We're going we're gonna to off you right now, right? So they just, they just bypass everything. I just love, like, in the heat of battle, I love, I love how here are people who are perceiving holy, totally breaking the law. Totally breaking the law. But, yeah, they, but, they, but they're justified in it, right, because of the heat, because of the drama. So he continues on, just giving you the story real quick, and, and he says something that I want to make sure we clear up in verse, um, when he says uh, in verse 35, he says, if he called them guys to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, um, he called, he says he calls them guys. He says, hey, well, I'm not doing anything bad because they, they call they say he's blaspheming. And then and Jesus said, well, before you kill me, let me take you to uh, Psalm 82. And he and where he talks about uh, these judges of Israel being gods. Right. Excuse me. And the point there. Is not their gods. His point there is that they've been given such a high priestly role, right, to to operate in again a, a communicable attribute that God has of judgment, right. That's that's his point in the text. And um, I'm going to have to move forward. I'm sorry, family, because I want to make sure we can get to this uh, uh, this this Sunday brunch. Um, so he so he says this. He he talks about. He says, look, 
I am not saying, because he's scared, he's thinking, like, well, I know Jesus is scared, but he knows they're about to brick him. So he flips the script and says, well, let's go to the Bible and do a quick Bible study before you kill me. And then we go to some, and he says, now look at this. He says, you know what? This is in the Bible. What I said was in the Bible. And he, I, love, I just love this, how, how magnificent he is. Um, and then obviously uh, they try to seize him, and he escapes in verse 39. Now, I just want to bring us to one quick thing. Um, that's what I was talking about, where it shows um, they wanted to put him to death just quickly, but that basically um, they're supposed to have some, uh, some sense of litigation. You can read the whole chapter. That's Leviticus 24. We'll help you see more about that. Um, what I love is at the end. Now, this is, this is not a part of the story, so I want to make sure I don't get past this. Just I want you to notice, notice John the Baptist in the story at the end, okay, family? When you go and you look at this on your own, because at Macab, I want you to be studying the Bible. And notice that it says... Now, now, John Dodds is one of the most um, popular figures in all of redemptive history. Okay? We agree. It says he did not one miracle. I love that. I love, I love the sense that the focus on John the Baptist is not the stuff he did, but his obedient testimony. None sexy. He just told people about Christ, ate his bugs, and went to sleep. Right? <laughs> That's what John the Baptist did in the woods. And he's one of the most known people in all of history. He's one of our patriarchs. And I say that. So don't be fooled, family, because everything that glitter ain't gold. We always think, you know, we want to find a supernatural. And I believe in the supernatural realm. But notice the airplay. John the Baptist leads us to Jesus. He prepares the pathway. And this man didn't do one miracle. All he did was have integrity and character. And understood the gospel and lived the gospel in her life. And God said, that man, that man was the one who led the redemptive nation, all of us, to Jesus. There's something to be said about that. It's not the main focus, but if I was sitting with Jesus, I'm sure he would have something to say about that reality. Don't miss that, family. You know, um, one of my favorite verses in First uh, Samuel is that reality where he says, what's the bleeding of sheep I hear uh, to Saul? And he says, listen to me. And Saul's like, I got all this stuff for you, God. And he says, what do you think? You think I care about sheep? He says, I don't care about sheep. I asked you to do something. And you didn't do it. What I want is obedience, not sacrifice. And I pray that us at MacAv can be men and women who are open to the supernatural realm, want to see God's wonders and see him move radically. But we don't compromise and we don't try to force his hand. And all we do is be obedient. Understand what he says and clearly articulate it to the nations. Through character and word and deed. So big picture thing, family, is I am the good shepherd, right? Let me describe shepherd real quick and we're going to be done. Um, just throw them up here. So. The concept of shepherd and these you can hopefully you get these online. I want us to, to see this stuff because I'm saying this is what we are saying. We believe. And if you are not a believer, this is what you should believe because it's true. Jesus is our shepherd. And that means he never sleeps or slumbers. He's not he's not kind of weary. He's always fully intact and in understanding what your journey is and what you're about. I think it's unbelievable. When you think of the millions of people and he knows everything that we're doing at every moment. And he's intimately intimately involved in each one of our lives, each one at the same time, our, he's our light and darkness, right? He's the one who's allowed to live a sanctified life. Um, he would never allow predators to, predators to have us. We should be men and women of courage because even if we die, as the psalmist says, although you may slay me, I will praise your name. 
that, 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 that even if we die, God is sovereign. He wanted me to die. Are we there? Are we there yet? He's watching over us. He responds to our cries. You hear me, fam? He responds to our cries. Do we believe that? He truly cares and tends for us. I don't know how specifically what that looks like. What I know is this is asking, is he good? He cares and tends to us. And that's why some of us got all kind of crazy stuff in our life, because he's not he's committed to you being like him. And he's putting drama because we don't want to be like him. And so he's he's doing his stuff in us. And it's, and, it's, and it's, you know, I think Jay Mack said it at our men's time the other day. It was so cool. He said, you know, it's easier when I just would knock people out, you know, and do all this other stuff. And I just knew in Christian, as a Christian, I could just change those things. He's like, but now I'm not kicking it at the club anymore. Now I'm not fighting. You know, I'm not doing those things. So now I'm like, okay, Lord, now what? And, and God is like, your heart. Let's get deeper now. Let's get to character, Jay. Let's get to integrity, Jay. He said, I don't like that. I, really, I want to knock somebody out so I can at least change that again. That was his quote. Because <laughs> now I can just keep turning, changing external stuff, you know. What are the three hard things? Oh, I got a potty mouth, I'll quit cussing, you know. But after, at some point, you got to quit running. And God goes to the heart. And says, yeah, you've changed all the other stuff, you know, but, but where's your wallet? you change changed all the other stuff, but are you caring for your wife? Are you super arrogant, but everybody thinks you're humble because you don't talk? Let's, let's deal with the character now. Let's deal with the real issues in your life, brother. Because I love you that much. He's committed that we can't run. That eventually, if you walk with Jesus, he's going to eventually go there. Because he loves us. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's hard, but it's a good thing. That's our shepherd. Check this out. Remember this. I am the good shepherd family. Continue on, please. So what is he saying? I am. We talked about this uh, last week. That he has the capacity. What that's saying that I am, the to be verb is like, I'm just, I am am. You know, like. This is I am everything, which lets us, reminds us, when you think I am, think he has the capacity to do. He is all. He is everything. I am good that he has the character to do. Okay? He has the capacity to do and the character to do what he does. And that's shepherd. In our life, our king has the capacity and the character to do what we're trusting him for. And that is be a good shepherd. May we trust him. May we trust him, family. May we trust him. Can we trust him? Is he good? Think about it. Don't even respond. Is he good? In your heart. What we're going to do right now, we're going to have tithes and offerings. If you're new here, we ask you to keep your wallets in your back pockets and your purse to your side. We don't want your money. Um, that's not our deal.